Good morning, Camel Church. How are we doing this morning? Awesome. That is what we love to hear. Uh, so this morning, we are jumping into the final uh, message in our God Experience series, which does sadly mean that is the last chance we have to get such an epic bumper in, and it's the last chance that Pat's going to have to have it be on time for when he does a message. But uh, look, really, the whole idea behind the sermon series, it, it started off with us asking the question, what do you do when you feel like you're stuck in your faith? What do you do when you feel like you're sort of just going through the motions, you're just rocking up every Sunday, you're being faithful, but you're not actually experiencing the fruit. You're not experiencing the life, the energy, and the vitality that is promised to us in Scripture. And what we've hopefully brought forth through this series is that in order for us to grow in our faith, we don't just need more information about God. We don't just need better theology or better doctrine or to read more of our Bible. We actually need an experience of God. That, that yes, all of those things are really, really important. That we can't actually rightly know God unless we know right things about God. But head knowledge alone can never replace a real and intimate relationship with the living God. And so what we've seen sort of over the last six weeks is we've tracked through what that sort of God experience can look like. Uh, and what we've seen is, you know, God is working, God pursues us, God invites us in, God guides us. And then last week, uh, Pastor Pat sort of walked us through this idea that God brings us to a moment of a crisis of belief. That moment where we have to decide if God actually is who he says he is and we can put our faith in him. And look, this morning, I really want to land this whole series in a really practical way. And I want to circle back to that first question that kicked off the whole series. How, what do we do when we're stuck in our faith? And what I want to look at is how we can actually experience God in the spaces in our life that we don't actually think he's really present in at all. And so in order for us to do that this morning, what I need to make sure we, we all have uh, is, is something that actually grounds this message in our life. That I don't want this to be the sort of sermon that you can sort of walk away from it going, oh, well, that was nice, and you just go on about your life, that I want there to be some real area of your life that you can grab a hold of, and you can just follow through with this message as we walk through it. So with that in mind, let me ask you a question. Where is it in your life that you wish you could experience change in? What area of your life do you want to experience God in but for whatever reason, you haven't. And it doesn't have to be like a church thing, like God cares way more about our life than 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. every Sunday morning. But where is it in your life that you actually just want to have that sort of God experience? Is it in your emotions? I mean, I mean, do you walk around every day with these feelings of fear and worry or anxiety or stress? And, and you know you shouldn't be experiencing any of those things. You know you should be filled with things like joy and hope and peace and, and all the fruit of the Spirit, but it's like no matter how much you pray about it, no matter how many Bible verses you have memorized, no matter how much you just talk to God about it, those feelings don't seem to go away. Maybe it's your health. That the area of your life that you want to experience change and you want to experience God and is just that you would be made well again. And again, you know, there are promises in the Bible. They tell us that we, there's healing and wellness and wholeness available to us, but your diagnosis and your present state just don't agree with those promises. Maybe it's your relationships. 
with your family or your kids or your wife. And, you know, maybe you've got a prodigal son and you've been praying and praying and praying and, and all you want to happen is that God would actually show up and that they would experience God and come running back to him. Where is it in your life that you long for an experience of God? See, whatever that thing is, wherever it is, what I need you to do this morning is grab a hold of that space. Go into that area that you would rather not bring to the surface and just unveil it before God. Because God is a God who moves in those spaces. God is a God who wants all of us, not just the good bits, not just the presentable bits, not just the bits we're happy to show everyone at church on Sunday. He wants all of us. And he wants to work change. He wants to show himself. He wants you to experience himself in those spaces of your life. And look, we're coming off the back of of a retreat this weekend and God has been moving in some amazing ways. And I truly and honestly believe that this morning, God wants to work some real change. He wants to show up in a real way in those spaces in your life. All right, so if you've got your Bible with you, we're gonna be in John chapter five. Uh, John chapter 5, starting at verse 1, and don't get confused with 1 John 5, you'll be really confused in the first five seconds, but um, when we're jumping into things, we're sort of, we're early on in Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, You know, he's got his disciples at this point, Uh, he's done some ministry up in Galilee, he's come down through Samaria, he uh, talked to the woman by the well, and we're sort of coming off the back of that, and he's entering into Jerusalem for the first time uh, to partake in a Jewish festival. All right, John chapter, one, uh, John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the, bl- the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. All right, so... Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, into the holy city, and he's entering via the sheep gate. And the reason it's called the sheep gate is because it's where, you guessed it, the sheep would come in. Uh, So if you were a shepherd and you had some lambs you wanted to sell to the temple for sacrificial purposes, this is the sort of gate you would enter in through. So don't think like the, the big pomp and show of the golden gate that Jesus enters into on Palm Sunday. Think more of a lower class, blue collar sort of entrance. And at this gate, there were these two pools, a northern pool and a southern pool. And one of the pools is where they would wash the sheep before they went and sold them at the temple. And the other pool was the space where the crippled, the lame, the blind, the the rejects of society would sort of gather together. And then verse four. Can we show verse four on the screen? No? Okay, no, I'm just messing with you. Uh, If you've got a Bible in front of you, what you will hopefully see is there is no verse four in John chapter five. There's a verse three and there's a verse five, uh, but there's no verse four. Um, (laughs) That uh, most modern translations don't actually include that verse. Uh, And and the reason that is the case is because um, it, it sort of comes from how they used to copy Bibles. So if you wanted a new Bible, sort of in the first 1500 years of Christianity, you would have to hand copy from an existing Bible. So some poor scribe would sit there for hours at a time, just copying verse by verse into this new book. 
Uh, and so inevitably, these scribes would make mistakes. And rather than um, sort of rewriting the whole page, they would just scribble in the margins and they would put the verse there. Uh, only issue with that is these same scribes would also put commentary and thoughts and notes about the Bible in those same margins. Uh, so what appears to have happened here is somewhere along the lines, a scribe copied in one of those thoughts, one of those commentaries, thinking it was part of the scripture, and so a whole bunch of later manuscripts have verse 4 included. Uh, but all that to say, John chapter 5 verse 4 isn't in most of the original manuscripts, so it's not in our Bible today. Uh, but essentially what the verse would have told us, because it's commentary, uh, is that there was this belief that an angel would come along, he would stir up the waters in this pool in Bethesda, and whoever jumped into the water first after that happened, they would experience healing. And look, because it isn't part of the original text, we're, we're not sure if this is something that was actually happening, uh, or if this was sort of a belief that had crept over from Judaism or early Christianity, or perhaps even the pagan culture. Uh, but regardless, this is sort of what people believed was happening. And so Jesus enters into this pool, he enters into this space, and immediately he would have been surrounded by a whole bunch of people who were desperately longing for change, desperately longing for an experience of God, for healing and wholeness. And he looks around that crowd, and he spots one man. Verse 5, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. Okay, let me just stop there. When Jesus learned that the man had been there for a long time. In other words, this is a piece of information that Jesus uh, discovers while he is in this space. And sort of the, the way I picture this in my head, and this is me, not scripture, so take from it what you will, is Jesus walks into the pool of Bethesda and he goes up to someone and he starts talking to them. And he's having this conversation with them and he's like, okay, how long have you been here for? And the, the blind man or cripple or whatever looks up and says, two weeks, I'm waiting for the water. And so Jesus walks over to someone else and he's like, how long have you been here for? Oh, two years. And it's like he's going from person to person. He's, he's hearing their story. He's having that conversation with them. He's learning what their pain is and he's getting to know who they are. And eventually he finds this one man who had been there for 38 years. And most commentators would sort of agree that this man had probably been waiting by the pool for the longest out of anyone else that was there. And that means this man has experienced the most pain. He, he's the one who has been uh, sitting there watching other people healed, watching other people's lives being changed, watch other people come into the space and then leave. And yet, despite seeing all that change, he had never experienced it himself. And look, I wonder if that's you this morning. I mean, do you ever look around and it's like everyone else is experiencing God? It's like everyone else is experiencing transformation and renewal and you're just left there going, hey God, what about me? Where's my change? Where's my God experience? And you don't get me wrong, you look at those things and, and you love it, you praise God for it, it's awesome, but there's some part deep inside of you that gets a little bit bitter when everyone else gets healing, when everyone else gets changed and you don't. And what I need you to know this morning, if that is you, God sees the man who has been waiting there for 38 years and he sees you as well. 
He knows what you are going through. He knows the pain you are experiencing. He knows the part of your heart that is longing for transformation, that is longing for change. That God has not forgotten you, church, no matter how long you have been waiting. That Isaiah 49 says, can a mother forget the baby that is at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though even she may forget, I, talking of God, will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are ever before me. That God knows exactly what you are going through. He knows exactly how long you have been waiting. And look, I don't know who needs to hear that this morning, but I need you to know God sees you. He sees you. That in a crowd of pain, Jesus singles out one man and he walks up to that man and has a conversation with him about change. And so verse six, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, you wanna get well? Do you want to get well? Look, if you're reading this story and it's anyone but Jesus, you would go, why are you asking such a stupid question? I mean, of course, of course this man wants to get well. What's he gonna say? Oh, no, Jesus, I'm, I'm just here for the, the company. You know, the blind, the lame, the lepers, they may not look it, but they make the best companions. They tell the best jokes. Uh, or, you know, the pool, I know it's hot, I know it's stinky, it smells like sheep from the pool next door, uh, but it's like a holiday resort that I never have to check out of. <laughs> No, of course the man wants to get well. See, at some point in the last 38 years, this man had found his way to this, uh, this pool. And whether he was carried there or he crawled there or he was just dropped off at some point, he came to this pool hoping that he could be made well. And that word there for well, um, that, Greek is, that Jesus is using in Greek, it's hygieus. And it doesn't just mean physical wellness. It can mean that. In a lot of cases, it does. But it's sort of got a more holistic sense to it. Uh, it means soundness, pureness, wholeness, or wellness. That Jesus comes to a man who is obviously broken, who, who obviously is longing to be whole again. And he says, hey, is that what you want? Do you want things to be restored to how they are supposed to be? Do you want to have shalom and fullness of life? And look, I know if I came up to any single one of you this morning and I posed that same question to you, each and every one of you would respond with a resounding yes. If I brought up that area of your life that you are desperate for change in, longing for an experience of God in, and I asked you, hey, do you want to experience that change? You would say yes. Do you want that broken relationship to be made whole? Yes, of course I do. Do you want to have that pain in your back or that anxiety or, or that um, cancer removed? Yes, I want that. Do you want those feelings of depression or, or shame to go away? Yes, Jesus, of course I do. That each and every one of us would go, yes, I want change. Yes, I want healing. Yes, I want to be well again. And look, if that is our response to that question, then I don't think that is primarily what Jesus is actually asking the man here. See, Jesus, he is not addressing an issue of the man's desires. He is first and foremost um, addressing issues of a uh, the deeper matter of the man's heart. 
See, there are two ways we tend to read this question. And I think both of them are kind of not helpful at all. The first thing uh, we think Jesus is doing is he's berating the man. He's sort of telling him off and sort of saying, hey, why don't you want to be well? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, surely, um, you know, if you had just desired it enough, if you had wanted enough, you could have been healed. That somehow in the last 38 years, you could have crawled into that pool if you had wanted it enough. And look, I could stand up here and I could preach a message like that, right? I could tell you that the reason you haven't experienced God in your life is because you haven't wanted it enough, that you haven't prayed about it long enough or um, done the things to, to earn that sort of experience. But it's not how Jesus works. He doesn't stand with a stick threatening us saying, hey, what is wrong with you? Just try harder. And the other thing I don't think Jesus is doing here is trying to encourage the man. He's not going, hey, just declare that you want to be healed. Just tell me how much you want to. Just, just, he's like giving a pep talk and sort of trying to encourage the man. That's, that's not what he's doing. It's not some weird manifestation of healing or sort of declaring your, your destiny. And again, if I ever stand up here and preach a message that sounds like that, yell heresy or throw tomatoes at me or something because that's not how Jesus works. No, what is happening in this moment is that Jesus, uh, before Jesus can address the change that needs to happen in this man's life, he needs to address the conditions of the man's heart. That before this man can receive healing and wholeness in his external, he needs to receive healing in the internal. That Jesus is actually far more concerned with the condition of the man's heart than he is with his present situation. See, what I think happened to this man is sometime in the last 38 years, he, he did. He found his way to this pool. And at the start of it, he was really hopeful. That like a lot of us, when we start praying about something, when we start uh, sort of digging into God for something, we're hopeful that he's actually going to show up and do something. And so the first time the, the man is there and the water starts bubbling, he, he starts crawling towards that pool, but, you know, he wasn't really prepared for what it was going to look like, and so he missed out that first time. So the next time comes around, maybe a couple months later, and uh, the man knows what to expect, and so it starts bubbling again, and again, he's crawling forward, but he didn't place himself correctly. He sort of, he wasn't in the right place, and someone else gets there first. And this happens again and again and again until eventually the man knows all the tricks. He knows all the lingo. He knows exactly what the sound of the bubbling is gonna, is gonna be like. He knows where to sit, so he's in the optimal place to get in the water. He knows where everyone else is, and he's got this. He's got it. And he's ready and he's waiting and the water starts bubbling again and, and he starts crawling forward and right before he hits the water, someone more able than him grabs a hold of his leg, pulls him back and again, he misses out. It's like time and time again, this guy does all the right things. He tries so hard and yet he cannot get the change that he is after. And every time that happens, he loses a little bit more hope until eventually, not overnight, but over time, the man gives up hope completely. That eventually the man's heart becomes just as broken, just as withered as his body. That Proverbs 15, 13 says, a happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. And Proverbs 18, 14 says, the human spirit can endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? And that's exactly what I think the man is experiencing. And look, if I'm being honest, I think for a whole bunch of us here this morning, it's 
what we're going through as well. That you feel like you've been praying the same prayers, walking through the same pain, waiting for the same change in your life that you have for year after year after year. And it's like the longer we wait for God to show up, the less hope we have. And look, if you've been in that place for long enough, what will happen is people will start to turn to you and they will start asking you questions like, hey, why did you stop trying? Hey, why did you stop caring about this thing that you used to care so much about? And what they'll never know, what they'll never understand is that you actually did care. You cared so much that for year after year after year, you kept on showing up, you kept on doing all the right things, you kept praying the prayers and and faithfully rocking up to church that you did all the things you were supposed to do, but no matter how hard you pushed, no matter how hard you tried, that change never came. The Bible tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so a lot of the time we just give up on hope. That is what I think Jesus is addressing. Not do you want to be healed. Of course the man wants to be healed. But do you still believe that you can be healed? Do you still believe that you can experience God, that you can experience change in your life? Do you still have hope that your present situation does not have to be the rest of your existence? See, what often happens is before God is ready to make a change in our circumstances, he needs to come along and make a change in our hearts. And so what that means is sometimes God comes along and he has to ask us questions like, do you want to be well? Not because he doesn't know our desires, but because he wants us to check where our heart is at. That sometimes God has to build hope and faith in us before he's gonna do anything else. And look, I don't know where you are on that journey. I don't know if you feel like you've been waiting next to this pool in Bethesda for the last two weeks or two months or two decades. Please, please, please do not give up hope. Let this question this morning of do you want to be well, let it breed hope and faith in you. Because without faith, without faith that God is actually gonna do something, it is really hard for us to ever experience change. Not faith in ourselves, not faith in our own good works, but faith that God is who he says he is and he always does what he promises. Faith that God is a mountain moving God. Faith that God is a God who is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called called according to his purposes. Faith that God actually wants us to experience him. And I think the man almost gets there. But then he turns to Jesus and he says, sir, the invalid replied, because he's polite. "Um, I, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. All right, can, can I just say, I am so glad I'm not Jesus. Because um, if, if I was, I would have messed it up for all of us, I promise. Um, no, but like, if I'm Jesus, right, and I rock up to this man, and I ask him a simple yes or no question. Hey, do you want healing? And the man gives me an excuse. I'm walking onto the next guy, right? <laughs> I'm like, hey, do you want healing? Yes? Okay, healing, healing, healing. Not you, you've missed out on your opportunity. Oh, pray for me. I still need some sanctification. But uh, (laughs) that's not the way uh, Jesus works, so we're we're all good. But seriously, this man's response, it's crazy, right? Like, like, see what he's doing. He's turning to Jesus. It's like, okay, Jesus, you're pretty new here. So let me explain to you how this works. 
Uh, there's this pool. You see the pool? Pool? Uh, and all of us, the, the crippled, the blind, the invalid, we, we sit around this pool. And every now and then, every couple of months or every couple of years, it starts to, to stir, it, it bubbles. And it's sort of a first and best dress scenario. And whoever makes it into the water first, they get healed. Jesus, that is the way it works. That is the framework under which we are operating. That is the system by which I can experience healing. And Jesus, I can't do that. I can't. I've followed all the rules. I've done all the right things. I've prayed the prayers. I've come to church every Sunday. I've tithed faithfully. I'm in a small group. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to Jesus. And yet within this framework that I have put up, I can't get there. The man is turning to Jesus and he is explaining that in the system he finds himself in, he cannot experience change. To quote John Calvin, the sick man does what nearly all of us do. He limits God's help to his own ideas and he dares not promise himself more than he conceives God can do. See, what we can never do, church, is, put, is turn to God and say, hey, God, this is the way you work. We should never put God within this framework and say, okay, within the boundaries of this box, that is how you can operate. That is how I can experience you. That is how I can experience change because that's exactly what religion does. It says in order for us to experience God, we need to do X, Y, and Z, and that is how we force God to show up. But see, if we put God in a box, one of two things has to happen. Either God comes along and he blows that box up, he completely destroys our understanding of how he operates or otherwise we close our eyes and we refuse to see God working in any other way because it's outside our nice little neat box of how he works. And look, you know what's crazy? Within that framework that this man has just outlined, he's not wrong. Like in and of himself, he's not getting into that water. Someone else is always going to beat him there. He doesn't have what it takes in and of himself to make the change that he is after. See, that's not the point. See, the moment Jesus enters into this pool, the moment Jesus enters into the equation, he changes all of the rules. See, the man thought that he needed the waters of the pool of Bethesda to experience healing, but what he had yet to comprehend was that the waters, the living waters had just entered into his life and that changes everything about everything. See, in the pool of Bethesda, which literally translates as the house of mercy, the God of the universe steps into the life of a man who has been waiting 38 years for change. A man who had given up all hope of ever experiencing that change. And the God of the universe turns to that man and says, do you want to be well? Do you want change? And despite all the man's excuses, despite all the reasons why God can't work within this framework, Jesus ignores all of that and he looks at him and he says in verse eight, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked. That Jesus offers no explanation. He gives the man no understanding of how any of that is supposed to work. In fact, later out in the chapter, we actually find out that the man doesn't even know the name of Jesus. So let your theology deal with that one. But see, the truth of the matter is that when God comes along and he invites us into change, he often calls us to things that seem impossible to our own eyes. 
that the very thing the man was unable to do for the last 38 years is exactly what Jesus commanded him to do. And so the man rolls up his yoga mat, he stands up, and for the first time in 38 years, he experiences change. And look, order's important. This isn't, a, this isn't like a, a works-based healing. He, he doesn't try to be obedient and then experience change. No, what happens is at some point along this conversation, uh, sort of through his weakness and his brokenness and his understanding of his inability to, about, uh, to do anything on his own, somewhere along that line, this man started to believe that maybe, just maybe, this person standing before him could actually do something about a situation. See, at the end of the day, change actually requires trust. It requires faith. And I know it's not a flashy line to finish a sermon on. It doesn't rhyme or have alliteration, but it's the truth. That unless we trust that Jesus is who he says he is and he always keeps his promises, unless we trust that Jesus came on a rescue mission for each and every one of us, unless we trust that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross to cover our sins, to make a way for us to be back in relationship with him, Unless we believe that God is a God who does miracles and changes lives and breaks chains and removes addiction, unless we believe all of that, church, unless we trust Him, there can be no change. And so somehow, however small that mustard seed was, this man trusts Jesus and he picks up his mat and he walks. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what barriers you have to overcome, what hurdles you have to get past to actually trust God like that. And if I can be so bold uh, this morning, maybe it actually means you have to forgive God first. Um, Not not that God needs forgiveness. He's perfect. He can't do anything wrong. But I think what happens is so often we're sitting by the pool in Bethesda for so long that we start to grow resentful towards God. And, And what we need to do is we need to go to God and say, hey, God, I forgive you. I forgive you for not restoring my relationship. I forgive you for not giving me the healing that I thought I needed. I forgive you for the fact that my prodigal son is yet to come home. That we need to turn to God and say, hey God, I'm not gonna hold this against you anymore and I'm actually going to trust you. That we need to trust God. And look, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, that, that is exactly what you need to do as well. That if you are here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, just like this man, then what you need to do is you need to trust Jesus. And you will experience the greatest change you could ever possibly have in your life because you will go from dead in your trespasses to alive again in Him. But we need to trust, church. And so look, as we close this, this off this morning and the band can start coming up, I really just wanna ask you the exact same question that Jesus asked the man by the pool. You wanna be made well. Do you wanna be made whole again? Do you you want change? Do you wanna experience God in the areas of your life that you you had given up on him ever showing up? And I can't tell you how God's gonna do that. He can do it however he wants. He's he's outside that box. But I can tell you God is a God who, who wants to come into those spaces. He wants to experience you to experience change. And so we're going to respond in two ways, so, well, three ways. The, the, the first thing I think some of us need to do this morning is we need to take a step of faith. We need, we need to show, we need to come to God and say, hey, God, I do actually trust you. 
I do want that change. And I think for some of us this morning, we need to jump into the pool and we need to get baptized. And that is just an, an outward symbol of what God is doing in our lives. And it's us saying, hey, God, I trust you. I give you my life. That, 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 and I think it's just symbolic because we're talking about the, the living waters and the pool of Bethesda, the house of mercy. And some of us need to jump into the waters of the house of mercy and receive that mercy. But we're also gonna respond in a slightly different way this morning. James 5.13 says, if anyone among you is in trouble, then let them pray. If anyone is happy, then let them sing songs of praise. If anyone among you is sick, then let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do what the book says. And so if you're here this morning and you're in a good place, you're happy, then we're gonna worship. We're gonna respond in praise to our God. And if that is you this morning, I need you to pray extra loud this morning because you've got a whole bunch of faith and there are a whole bunch of people in this room this morning that don't have that. And so they need to hear you declaring praises to our God, praises to our King, because they don't have the faith to do that right now. But if you are in trouble, if you are sick, and that word there for sick again, it doesn't just mean physical sickness, the word literally means without strength. If you are without strength this morning, if you are like the man by the pool in Bethesda and you can't get changed on your own, then I would just invite you to come forward this morning and, and, and get prayer. And again, we're coming on right off the back of a retreat, so there's a whole lot of faith in this room. There's a, a, a whole lot of belief that God is actually doing amazing things. And so the prayer team, and if there are any of the elders here, I'm gonna invite them to come forward because that's what the book says, and, and the pastoral staff and the prayer team. And we're just gonna pray over you. We're gonna anoint you, and we're gonna invite God to come in and make a change. And look, for sure, that means physical healing that if you are here this morning and the reason you relate to the man by the pool is because just like him, you have this diagnosis or this sickness hanging over you like a weight, then what you need to do is you need to come forward and receive prayer. And, and maybe like the man, you, you're gonna receive a miraculous touch this morning and you're gonna walk out of here with a brand new diagnosis. Or maybe God's gonna start a process of healing, a journey that he has you on that is gonna start right in this moment. But God is a God who heals and he wants to bring change in your physical body. Look, maybe for you this morning, there's an emotional aspect to this. There's a mental health aspect of it. That you want change in things like depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts. And look, can I just say, if that is you this morning and you are going through, struggling with those thoughts of ending your life, can I just say, please, please, please do not walk down that path. You are loved, you are valuable, you are known. That God knows who you are, He knows exactly where you are. He loves you too much. Please do not walk down that path. But if you this morning are struggling with, with, with just um, issues in, in your mind, I would just invite you to come forward. Because yes, there are chemical reasons for that. There are psychological reasons for that. But I think in a whole lot of cases, there's a huge spiritual element to that as well. And so you need to come forward and you need to receive prayer for that as well. Maybe it's relational. There are broken relationships that you need prayer for. Maybe you actually need to come forward and you need to ask God, uh, you need to get prayed over for someone else that you need to stand in someone else's stead who isn't in this room this morning, but needs to experience the touch of God in their life. And you need to come forward as well. And you need to be praying for that prodigal son or that prodigal daughter or that family member that isn't in this room right now, but needs to be. Whatever it is, church, wherever it is in your life that you need to experience change, 
please come forward because God wants to move in that space this morning. And so like, we're gonna be at the front and I'm gonna pray and in a moment, um, yeah, I'm gonna pray and then while I'm praying, the, the prayer team and elders and everyone else here can come forward. And please just don't stay in your seats. If, if you are here, and I think there's something for, for most of us in, in this room this morning, come forward. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to have that space here. And if you, you want to get baptized, that's going to be available here as well. And we're going to do that. So let me pray. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who actually wants to be involved in our lives. That, that you are a God who wants us to experience you. You're not far away. You're not distant. You're closer than the air we breathe. And Lord, I just pray that in this moment this morning that, that you would just do something in our hearts, that you would stir us to this moment where, where we trust you, where we have faith in you. Some of us, maybe for the very first time that we, we go to you and say, hey God, I believe that you are who you say you are. I put my faith in you. Lord, I just pray that you would come and you would work change in this space. That God, you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow you are unchanging, but that does not mean you call us to be that way that you have a plan for each and every one of us to grow, to change, to become more and more like Christ Jesus. So Lord, I pray for miracles in this space. I pray for healings to happen in this space. I pray for, for chains of bondage and addiction to be removed in this place. I pray for darkness to be removed over people's lives. I pray for eyes to see. I pray for change in this space, Lord. So come. Come, Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Come and work change in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So why don't you respond?